Hello and welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, it's a packed studio. I'm joined by three, a, a new, well, a couple of new faces, and the lovely Jessica Teray is back with us, UK partner. So my new faces are Catherine Lacoz, who is the leading uh, leading our IFRS nine for insurers proposition, and I've also got UK senior manager Richard Goodman. So welcome, Catherine, Jessica, and Richard. It's so busy in here. And the title of our podcast today: Get excited. I feel like it's a drum roll. It's IFRS 9 for insurers. Woohoo! I'm not a financial insurance person, so you'll have, you'll have to help me get excited on this one. So, Catherine, I'm going to start with you. And um, why are we talking today? What's going on in the world of IFRS 9 and insurers? Yeah, thanks, Ruth. So, just before Christmas time, the ISB um, have tentatively decided to defer um, IFRS 9 to 2022. Um, the same as for um, IFRS 17 insurance standard. Um, they're still subject to due process, um, but that effectively gives more time for insurers to implement both of these complex accounting standards. Um, up to date, from what we've seen um, in the market, not that many insurers have done much in IFRS 9. The big focus has been on IFRS 17 and all the, the challenges they have with that. So. Um, that's definitely one area we want to to bring to the fore and to think about going forward. Okay, perfect. So it was 2021, yes. and now we've got a little bit extra year to think about how those two standards come in. Yes. So Jessica, most people think 2022. I feel like that's a long way off. I've not got my five-year career plan yet. What is? Uh, why do people need to start thinking about it now? Well, Ruth, because IFRS 9 introduces such significant measurement changes um, for financial instruments, which of course is what most insurers hold to back their insurance liabilities, they really need to start thinking about it now. And it's because there's so many options and choices within IFRS 9 and IFRS 17 in terms of how you measure things and whether you take changes in discount rates to OCI or whether you're going to have them in the P&L. So things like that, they should really start thinking about now. In addition, of course, if you are electing to defer IFRS 9 until you have to do the insurance standard, there is, of course, for 2018 financial statements, extra disclosures that are required. Disclosure. There's always disclosures <laughs> when, um, when, there's a, when there's an exception to the rule, right? And we'll come on to explain what those additional disclosures are, but, but it's really important for clients to start thinking about and make sure that they include those disclosures in the financial statements to the extent they have them. And, and in particular, things like you know, if they have a big available for sale portfolio currently, or if they have assets that are currently at amortized cost, they'll really need to do a business model and um, a solely payments of principal and interest test to understand whether those instruments would necessarily be fair valued under nine, or whether they could continue on measuring those me- methods. The other thing is, it's really just, it, it's better to try and link the operational and financial implications together at the same time, um, so that way you, you kind of understand how they all interact and interplay. And of course, you know, it's not just about the assets. To the extent that a company has financial liabilities under I, that would be under IFRS 9, so for example, your unit link contracts or investment contract liabilities, they'll need to think about those. And if they're measuring them at fair value through P&L, there's a point about OCI um, for own credit risk now goes into OCI rather than to P&L. So it's just something else for them to think about. Yeah. So although it feels like a long time, I think we always do this. I know like 17 and 9 are big beasts anyway. And we always say this with new standard implementation, but it's always better to start earlier and I think people always think I've got ages but our key message then for this is let's get going now absolutely 
So Richard, Jessica mentioned there around classification and measurement. Is there any other links between um, IFRS 17 and IFRS 9 we should think about? Yeah, there are a few other links. Um, one of those is transition. Now, IFRS 17 requires you to restate the prior year comparatives in the first year of adoption, but IFRS 9 doesn't. Now, obviously that could throw up differences in the you know, financial results, um, differences in the counter between your assets and liabilities. And so you have to work the costs and benefits of choosing whether to do whether to, sorry, to work the costs and benefits of whether to disclose prior information under IFRS 9 or stick with the original or the existing IS 39 approach. Also, there's um, impacts on charts, accounts, and ledgers and subledgers. So IFRS 9 and IFRS 17 both involve big changes to internal and external reporting. If you're making changes already for IFRS 17, then really you should be considering IFRS 9 at the same time, as you want to make sure you account you consider both in the new systems. Um, asset liability management is another point. Um, you trust do investment portfolios need to be aligned with IFRS 17 portfolios more closely. So IFRS 17 involves calculations um, at much greater level of detail, and so to avoid those accounting mismatches, you may need to readjust IFRS 9 asset, or asset portfolios under IFRS 9. Data requirements are also important. Um, impairment calculations under IFRS 9, if you're required to do them, um, involve a huge amount of extra data. Um, given that IFRS 17 also involves a lot of extra data um, for in the calculations, um, new data solutions should be developed to meet requirements of both standards. And then finally, the reporting timetable um, is a key point to consider. You know, what's the most efficient way to fit the requirements of IFRS 17 and IFRS 9 into your monthly, quarterly, year-end reporting process? Um, consider the frequency of impairment calculations, for example, as they can take a lot longer than they would under IS 39. Um, and also, yeah, consider your reporting timetable is already being stretched by the more complex IFRS 17 modelling. Yeah. So I think one of your, it sounds like from listening, one of your tips is sort of don't look at them in isolation. There could yeah. actually be lots of crossover and there might be efficiencies in looking at them together when you're implementing them. Absolutely, yeah. So Catherine, turning back to you, Jessica mentioned earlier, like we do with everything, we always want disclosure and there's some disclosure we need to think about here for 2018. Could you tell us what they need to look out for? Yeah, no problem. So yes, as we said, the good news with the, the full deferral of the standard is then has a flip side and that um, I think the deferral disclosures will probably have even more scrutiny because there's a, a longer lead time until we actually see the results. And we've seen from the FRC uh, recently, they've had, there's been a lot of scrutiny on the bank's interim IFRS 9 disclosures. So I expect that same to be a, a level of scrutiny to apply um, going forward. So for, for this year and um, reporting, insurers need to, in, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but they need to give, um, Good, we might that will be here for a while. <laughs> it's, not need, <laughs> it's not bad <laughs> It's not bad I'm joking, I'm sure. <laughs> but and examples of what they need to disclose include um, the fact that they're using this temporary exemption and how they concluded they were eligible for that, which they should, they were ready. Um, but then there's some more numerical information required. For example, they need to split the fair value at the end of the reporting period um, for those upper assets between those that, that meet a certain um, criteria for testing and those that don't. Um, and that can add some extra complexity depending on what portfolio of assets that you have. And also, the if insurer currently holds instruments that are more than amortised cost as, as what we currently call a AFS type portfolio, they need to complete additional testing on the cash flows to determine um, what um, classification they end up in. 
So it, it really depends on your portfolio of assets, the extent of the work that needs to be done um, to meet, to, to provide information for these disclosures. One thing I would say is that uh, we are preparing a template, although the, it's probably not very long, the disclosures, we're, we're putting together a template to um, come out in a publication that we hope to issue soon. So that will give some help and guidance just in terms of what it looks like in that. So, so watch, watch this space for, for that. Okay, so although potentially not that, not too much extra disclosure, it still sounds like quite a chunky job to get to it get all the together, data, yeah. to get the data. Yeah. So Richard, you already talked a little bit about, you know, they should people should be starting now and they've got some disclosure to think about. What, you know, at, as soon as they listen to this podcast, rather than run away and cry, what should they be doing? Okay, well, um, for example... Well, I've lost it. I've, 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 I've got you over excited about the crying. Right, exactly. They're not really yeah. crying. Okay. We'll give out some virtual hugs. They're all, they're all Sorry, crying. I don't want them to cry. Um, so I think one of the biggest things is the use of OCI. So if you consider, if an insurer is considering using the OCI option under RFRS 17, it's likely that they're going to want to use fair value for OCI measurement under RFRS 9. So when you look at the financial and operational impacts of that choice, in order to do that, you want to complete the RFS9 business model assessment. And if you're using OCI, testing assets against the SPPI criteria that Jessica was talking about earlier. Again, if you're going for a fair value for OCI, you might want to start thinking about the impairment approach. There are simplifications available for high, high quality assets. So yeah, yeah so it's, <laughs> not as, it's not as bad as potentially it could be in yeah. for banks, for insurers. So that's one potential um, positive point. This company said you want to develop the RFS9 deferral disclosures for 2018 year end and yeah, if you have those assets at AFS or amortised cost then you're going to want you're going to need to have some SPPI testing completed before that so it's important to get going on that as quickly as possible if you haven't already started. And I think also just aligning the RFS17 and RFS9 implementation projects because insurers are going to want to make sure that the impacts of both standards are considered together because although they're different they're produced at different times they both have a big impact on the balance sheet and profit and loss account of an insurance company. So it's important to align the projects, manage them both together at the same time. Yeah, good. So they've got an action list of what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> so Jessica, it sounds like there's lots for people to do. Have we got any help? <laughs> any help out there? Well, there's lots of guidance available. I mean, you know, IFRS 9 isn't any different really for the insurers than it is for the banks. And there's heaps of information out there that we've produced um, for banks and for corporate companies. You know, there's the illustrative financial statements for the banks. Equally, there's an illustrative set of financial statements for insurers that will come out shortly that will incorporate both NINE and, and IFRS 17. Um, we are producing a, a new IFRS 9 for insurers publication, which will come out shortly. So trying to focus on particular types of um, things that they need to specifically be thinking about. We've got tools on how to do um, the solely payments of principal interest test. Um, we've got tools on how to do the impairment testing under the new expected credit loss model. So there's lots of um, great IFRS 9 information available on PwC Inform. Perfect. I'm sure we've got like about 25 chapters in the manual all about <laughs> IFRS 9 as well. And there must the be manual. something in there of goodies. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. So all that information is on PwC Inform, so you can find that out. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining me today. I'm, uh, Jessica will tell me off for saying this, but this is like, this is a real big treat today because it's Jessica's birthday <laughs> and she's got to talk about IFRS 9 for insurers. <laughs> Honestly, Jessica, what more could you want from life? Couldn't have expected anything better. <laughs> thank so you, really. Um Yeah, so everyone, thank you very much. You've got lots of hopefully helpful, you've got a nice action list and uh, available information. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Ruth Preedy. Happy accounting. 
seeding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.